Welcome to Business Class Money Minutes, powered by American Express. This is the podcast unpacking big money topics for small business owners, providing you with the tools and insights to solve those common financial headaches and challenges. I'm your host, founder and entrepreneur, Sharmadine Reed, and today I'm joined by chef, author, and founder, Sarit Packer of London restaurant Honey & Co. to discuss the often thorny issue of separating personal and business finances. Sarit and her partner and husband, Itamar, launched their business 10 years ago with a starting investment of £30,000 that was completely self-funded. As a small business, you could run your company using your personal cards, but there can be downsides associated with doing so. If you're currently using a personal card for business finances, then this episode is definitely for you. Sarit, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So let's go right back to the beginning. And I love, love, love this topic because when I started my nail salon 12 years ago, I did exactly the same, which is I had no idea how to separate my personal and business finances. What was your journey like? I mean, we didn't even realize that we had to separate our personal Neither and our I. business uh, <laughs> finances at the start. Why didn't they teach us yeah, this at school? Yeah, you know, this should be the ABC. I also want to say that as a chef coming here with my nails and my hands is such a scary <laughs> thing to do. I'm holding my hands in fists so you don't look at my nails. Anyway, apart from that, yeah, it was early days. We had kind of really no idea. So my husband's father passed away when he was younger and he had left this flat in Israel, which wasn't worth a flat in London, but it was worth something and it was between him and his brother. So at kind of this stage where my husband was like, I need to do something for myself, I'm going to sell this flat, split it with my brother and let's do something. And I was like, no, I don't want to do anything. I had a really high paying job. I was doing really well for myself and I was really scared. I had a business before in Israel. And What were you doing well. before? I had a, a pastry business in Israel. Um, and that kind of didn't really work out. And I left that and it was really hard for me to do. And then when I came to London after a few years, I started working at Ottolenghi and then I ran all their pastry. And then I worked up to executive chef in Nopi and the project. And I even though wanted something for myself was also like really scared because you get paid well and you know what you're doing. And I, you know, I knew my job in and out. And I was kind of like, what are we going to do this like opening in London in this kind of, you know, we have no money. But he was very adamant and he's very persuasive. My <laughs> husband. So we did. We took all that money, which was about 30. £30,000 and said, look, we, we're just going to try and we see what we can do with that. So you had your initial investment of £30,000, which was your own money. How did you start to understand what is your money versus business money? I think it took a good six months, let's say, because we had started and said, we give everything we have for this. So we found this property. It was kind of with a working kitchen, but very basic. And we just needed to kind of give it a bit of a paint job and, and a bit of furniture. So we knew, okay, even with a basic kitchen, we can cook something here. And then we emptied our flat. We took all our cutlery. We took our teapot. We took everything that worked. What well, we just said, we're going to be there all the time. It doesn't matter what we have in the house and we don't want to spend the money. And when time comes, we'll replace. And this is where the lines get blurred. We took our home computer. We took like paper, like actual like writing paper, notebooks. Like we just emptied the flat out. And cushions and almost everything that was in that first restaurant was just ours. And how do you quantify that mm. later? How do you say this asset? Yes, it, it, it's ridiculous asset, but it's also an asset you have to to work. And then at some stage, and I reckon it was about six months, we started handing in some paperwork to an accountant. And he said, well, what do you mean? What is this payment here? What is this payment here? And we were only using our cards because we didn't get cards that early on. 
And that's when we really had to start thinking, okay, there needs to be a line where this is money that the restaurant does and this is our money and slowly, slowly start to separate that out. But it really did take a long time. I would say that I had a completely identical experience. <laughs> when I opened my first salon in Dalston, the cupboard was from my bedroom. All of the magazines and books were mine. The plants, everything was just what was already in my house. And I wanted my nail salon to effectively look like my living room. So I just, instead of duplicating everything, I just took everything. But then the problem is, is you do have to replace your own items at some point and then you're spending twice so I think that this is a really key lesson for the business owners that are listening is to try and have a clean separation from day one because it gets very very messy later down the line so at what point did you transition from personal to business cards to manage your business finance and what was the catalyst that prompted that? So I think after six months and we had started hiring some staff, so it wasn't just us at work and we wanted our life to start looking normal again, to have some stuff at home again. I love that. for Because yeah. I, I can picture it. I'm getting almost PTSD. I want to be normal again, not like in my business 24-7. But openings yeah. are like that. And actually, we've just done another opening mm. and I wish I could tell you that we've absolutely learned from our lessons, but we haven't fully because we, again, wanted this restaurant to feel like our home. So things have come from our home <laughs> now, like art, but stuff that makes us feel at home mm. and makes our customers then think, totally. oh, we're, we're, we're part of their kind of family. And look, and even with lessons learned, there is still a separation. Even though now we know to record things much better. <laughs> what's gone where and what has been used and we replace things faster nowadays but still a lot of the same patterns but so I, I would say like about six months in with the accountant some discussions how are we doing how's the business going and the advantage of restaurant businesses you start making money the day you open your door so if you're nice and busy it's quite easy to return an investment so as soon as we had returned that investment and that took about six months we started putting any new money into new things whether they were replacing something for us at home or getting a new thing for the actual uh, location at the time. So probably about another six months until we, we felt even. And at that point, that's when you were like, I'm going to get a business card. I'm going to use this business card for business expenses and not be using my personal debit card for everything. Absolutely. And then we absolutely stopped. It takes a lot of training to do. But it makes it easier. makes it easier to hand in your paperwork to the accountant because you don't have to show them your Netflix account or, your, you know, you, you, there are things that are yours and things that are the businesses and that's the way it should be. It makes it so much easier for yourself because particularly if you're a creative entrepreneur, you don't really want to be sitting there at the end of each month separating line by line all of the expenses. So again, it's very, very important to try and do this right from the offset. So the catalyst for you is the fact that your revenue, as you said, restaurants, they you start making cash immediately. Yeah. Your revenue grew considerably with yeah. your infamy, <laughs> with your <laughs> reputation rather. You know, were you really prepared for that revenue growth and how did you handle that emotionally as well as, you know, physically with your finances? I think for the first two years, we were quite smart. Everything we made, we had put back in because we took a very, very basic place and did very basic things to it. So, Every six months, if there was a bit of money, we took some time and we put it back in. We got new furniture. We got new kitchen equipment. We got staff, which is the most important thing. Let's not forget at the beginning, it was just my husband and myself. So hiring the staff, all of that. So basically everything we made over those first kind of two years went back into the business very much. And then we started feeling a bit 
tied in by this place because we took a place that was very small, our first restaurant, because of our budget and because of everything. It was tiny, a 25-seater all in all, which is a very, very small kitchen. And that's when we started looking for another premises. And it was the only way to channel all the work because by then we had had hired enough employees that were running the existing Honey & Co. They were doing a good job at it. And Itama and I were kind of, in a way, kicked out of the day-to-day -day kitchen and were just managing it, but there was no need to manage it if nothing else was happening. So we started looking for our second uh, thing two years in. We also wrote a cookbook in between. We snuck one in quickly. <laughs> and then we were working on this Honey & Smoke, which is our bigger restaurant. We put in an offer. It was very scary. It was quite a big offer. And we, in our heads, thought, okay, if that's the money a small place makes... You make the place four times larger, you make the revenue four <laughs> times larger. I wish, I wish that was the <laughs> truth. Uh, we spoke to a lot of friends that are in the business and everyone told us the second place is really hard. But you can listen to people, but you, you still need to experience it yourself. So, yeah, we kind of put all our energy in that. Took a long time to negotiate the contract. Took a long time to refurb. And actually, we didn't manage to get it open until 2016. So four years in, even though we had started two years in to look for it. And it was crazy. <laughs> but you said, I mean, you were scared to go into business initially anyway, because you'd had an experience before that was negative. And a lot of successful founders I speak to have had one at least failed business or failed endeavor under their belt. But you did it anyway. And it worked in those first two years. After those two years, when you started to think about expanding, were you prepared for those two years of searching cost increase effectively to grow the business? Because what typically happens is you're incrementally growing and you're growing and growing. And then to basically take it to the next level, there's a massive investment that needs to happen. You already said that your cookbook advance gave you the deposit, which I've been there and done that as well myself. You know, how did you handle such a large increase in cost at that four-year point? Well, I think Honey & Co. Was, was a cash cow, you know. Small, but super, super efficient. It would feed like 150, 200 people a day in that 25-seater breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it was always busy. And the team was like nicely kind of trained and involved and really kind of taking it on. And it was just making kind of its own money, and that was the money we said we're going to invest in this new place. And we had decided that we would kind of times 10 the the investment of the first place. So we were going for a budget of 300 to open the bigger restaurant. It's a far bigger restaurant. It's a 90-seater, and even that was hugely optimistic. Every person we spoke to just looked at us and said, that is not enough of a budget to open a restaurant. No way. And we were like, well, that's all we have. Like, it, this is going to be enough. And they were like, no, it's not. And we had turned a tile shop, an old tile shop, into this restaurant, so we had to get extraction. We had to get council approval, all of this stuff. And... We were extremely optimistic. I mean, we just, just passed the budget, but without doing everything we should have done. And it subsequently cost us quite a bit of money. So mm. I would say if potentially one thing I would tell myself then is go and get the investment or the loan then. Do it right first. Don't do this piecemeal because mm. it costs a lot of money. Trying to correct a mistake is much harder than just spending the money in the first place. But we just said we're only going to spend what we have made. What was that decision of not taking investment? What was that driven by? I really hate debt. I have like, um, I was born in a family where debt is not a thing that you do. I was scared to take a mortgage in the first place on a flat. I, everything like that. I don't like not 
be I'm a very control freak. I don't like not knowing what I've spent and where my money is exactly. And I don't like the idea of living off of someone else's money. I had a, to work on myself quite a lot to mm. understand that this isn't always the best way to do Definitely. Things. And that's kind of what I was going to get onto next, which is I can definitely identify. I grew up very working class. It was discouraged to have debt. If you did have debt it felt like this thing hanging around your neck and it took me a very long time to decouple those financial beliefs that I'd inherited from my parents to actually drive my business forward and actually I do think that one of the things that held my business back is because I did not want to talk to any investors any banks anything like that and it took me a long time to understand the difference between good debt and bad debt how has that been for you this is the biggest lesson learned is debt shouldn't be a super scary word it still is in a way in my heart when i say it and and personally i've never ever like exceeded my current account or anything like that but for a business it's not true because doing things right, doing them right from the start and getting the results you need in order to generate that money is what will make the difference. And then you return that debt. It's not a debt that you have to carry for mm. life. It took me a good few years to reach it. And in Honey and Smoke, we still hadn't reached that mm. understanding yet. So we're very strong on creating a contingency, making sure we have a budget and a contingency in case things go wrong. And that's actually what saved us in COVID, I have to say, because we would have found ourselves in very deep water if we weren't that kind of company. But we were. It helped us kind of get through it. But now I definitely say if you can get the funding, if you can get someone that believes that your project can make money and you can project why it will make money, probably better to do it with an investment. Definitely. I think that there is a fine nuanced line and a conversation to be had between being financially responsible while understanding the right amount of risk. And what it sounds like to me is that because the first restaurant had done so well and you're essentially making good cash and good revenues through that it was almost like the thesis had been proved there's been a lot of talk in the news at the moment about restaurants having to pass on food increase prices to customers yeah. and to be looking really tightly at your supply chain where your food is coming from how has this impacted your business it's horrible because we are finding constant need to increase prices but there is no way to survive this industry otherwise more than food costs it's staffing costs mm. Uh, staff is so like rare at the moment in London. There's such a shortage in our industry that you pay more and more, sometimes for less and less talented people, sometimes for really talented people, but sometimes for less. And you're still expected to kind of end up in the same bottom line at the end. And that is not possible. Not when all your costs are going up, electricity is going up, all the deliveries are going up. And all these models that we kind of started to develop very strongly during the pandemic can't exist anymore. So like all the food delivery, we've almost had to eliminate all of it apart from bigger caterings because it's almost impossible to get a delivery driver nowadays. You know, it's crazy kind of things where you think the business model could go that way but not if there's a solution to these things and not if it's costing a person more to get food delivered to them than the food itself. But it is frustrating to have to continuously up your prices. And I know a lot of customers do get frustrated by it. But also at the end of the day, we have to pay our rents and we have to pay our chefs and our waiters and we have to pay all the bills because we are still not a business that works on like, we like paying everyone on time. We like closing everything. We like to know where we stand at every given time. We're not, you know, one of these businesses that pays the supplier. In six months time, we pay every month and we have to move that on to a customer. And yeah, it is frustrating for them. So just before the pandemic, like most businesses, including my own, you had growth plans that were scuppered because of COVID limiting your business. How are you thinking about the next two to five years in your business? 
it's an interesting one for us. So like I say, we had this like business plan in 2019. It was heading a lot more towards the stuff that Itamar and I were passionate about. We, you know, we have our own podcasts and we do a lot of appearances. And the idea was for us to pivot towards a, a more kind of media thing and for the business to stay as a strong business, but with moderate growth. I think in the pandemic, it became very clear that we have to be very involved in the business in order for it to stay viable. So we've kind of, we're putting our interests aside for a bit and focusing really on the growth of the business and what's important for that. And for us, that means a good working environment, good employees, a good group of people that want to stay there, that see a longevity in it, and that want to become really kind of invested members of the company rather than kind of fleeting chefs in and out. Thinking about the last 12 months, where have you saved more money than you thought you would have and where have you overspent or spent too much? I wish I could tell you we saved anywhere. The last 12 months have been very difficult. We had to move our first kind of cash cow, the Honey & Co. Our lease was up in 10 years and they did not want to renew it. And this was a very big decision for us to make. Finding the new location, investing in it, changing it into the restaurant we wanted it to be was far, far more expensive than we ever, ever planned to spend that kind of money. And we spent a lot. We're very happy with it now and it's and it's getting to what we want it to be. But it was not in the kind of budget plans. But sometimes life does that and you sign a 10 year and you think, oh, 10 years is so long, but it does reach and you have to deal with it. So that is probably where we mostly overspent. We really wanted to get it right. And then underspent, I really don't think anywhere. Sadly, I really think it's been a very tough year on spending. Thank goodness, contingencies. This is all I can say. It's incredible that you had the foresight to, you know, make this kitty, this pot of money just in case because it is such a precarious business. And, you know, you see incredible restaurants that then get boarded up in a few months and you don't actually know what might have gone on. So I think that's brilliant. So there we have it. Some fantastic insights from author, chef and founder Sari Packer. We've learned about the importance of separating personal and business finances it's so so key that you have a business card or a business account from day one so that you know the line between what's yours and what's the company's we also talked about good and bad debt sometimes you can feel as a young business owner that you don't want to take on debt or that it's too scary but sometimes debt is good to invest in the things that you need and to grow your business which goes on to our last point on false economy I've definitely, you have, sorry, (laughs) done the buy cheap, buy twice, where trying to be frugal and spending almost too little in the beginning can actually harm the business later on. So have a clear understanding about the areas of the business that you can scrimp and save on and the areas of the business that you definitely need to make that worthwhile investment. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Make sure you check out the Business Class Trends and Insights Hub for the latest articles and videos on everything related to small business finances at americanexpress.com forward slash UK forward slash business class. And don't forget to subscribe to the Business Class Money Minutes, which you'll find wherever you get your podcasts. You'll never miss an episode. Until next time, from me, Sharmadine Reed, and the entire Business Class Money Minutes team, goodbye and take care. No matter the size of your business, American Express has your back. Our range of business cards gives you greater control over your cash flow, so you'll have the flexibility to respond to change and chase opportunities. Plus, you can earn rewards from your day-to-day spend and invest it back into your business. Visit americanexpress.com slash uk slash business card to learn more. Terms apply.